So we have been in a sacred season. And we've been talking about these sacred seasons that Jesus mentions in John chapter 15. Uh, and by the way, this is as an aside, um, John chapter 15 is an incredible passage. And I think you can drill down in there and spend forever in there. But there's so many places in scripture that if you really want to drill down for a long period of time, uh, I have found just in my experience that God kind of marks different seasons of my life with just camping out in somewhere. So almost every year there's a psalm that I feel like God draws my attention to. And that is the psalm that I go back to almost day after day throughout a year. Sometimes it's been a passage like this. And so there are different times where uh, it's better to read a bunch of scripture and kind of get a big sweep of things. And then there are other times where it's more helpful to really drill down into something and mine all that it's there. And so that's what, just what we were doing as a church for this. We were planning on doing the whole gospel of Matthew for the whole year. And we will probably get back to that soon, but it felt like there was a little bit of a shift that was needed for this. And so that's where we are. So just to recap, we've been talking about how Jesus talks about how we are going to be pruned. So there's going to be things that are going to be removed in our life so that we can remain or abide in him. That's that rest, that dependency in him. And that happens so that we can grow and how we, and so that we can produce fruit. So that's the whole flow here. And I talked about last week how, uh, how we should differentiate growth and fruit. So growth is something that's happening kind of in me. And it's, um, it's something that's kind of happening to me. Whereas fruit is something that happens through me. It's the end process of all these different things of being pruned, of remaining, of, uh, of growing, where God actually brings about life through me to other things or to other people. And I, and I laid out last, li- last week how there are, I think, kind of three ways we can think about what is fruit. So I talked about kingdom works last week, how one of the fruit and one of the things that we can think about in terms of fruit is what kind of works is my life producing? What difference am I actually making in the world, in the lives of other people? So am I caring for the poor? Am I feeding the hungry? Am I praying for the sick? Am I spending time with the lonely and with the hurting? Like, uh, is my life actually making a difference in the lives of anyone else? And I would say that's a question we should be asking ourselves on a regular basis. What difference does my life make in the lives of other people? It's God's desire. Jesus said it, that we would bear much fruit. So it's his heart that we would really make a difference in the lives of other people. So that's one. Then I talked about how, uh, well, we're going to talk about this next week, how there's fruit in terms of reproduction or multiplication, how God's calling us to make other kingdom people, how we're supposed to invest ourselves into others and see see new people come to learn how to follow Jesus. That's one. But today I'm going to focus on kingdom character and the fruit of the spirit. So most people, when they hear about fruit, think about, the fruit of the spirit. And that's perfectly fine. That's kind of what we should think about in a way. It's where their mind goes when they think about the fruit of the spirit. So Galatians chapter five, verse 22, I'm going to start here and I'm going to end here too, but let's just go ahead with it. Verse 22, here's what it says. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So there's no limit on this. You you should be all of these things at the max, as much as you possibly can be. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Not Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. All right, so we've got the fruit of the Spirit. And most of the time, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> When we, um, when we think in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, we think of character formation in the life of the believer. Um, and in a way, that's 100% right. If you think and you read that description, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on, uh, it should make you think about that's the kind of person that Jesus was. And the whole idea of growth is that we become to be people who are more like Jesus. So and what we want to do is have the same character in us that Jesus had in him. We, uh, he's not just making us just generally good people. He's making us to be people that look like Jesus. And so God is working in our lives to produce this kind of fruit in our lives. That it's the end result of a process. Um, however, when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, we tend to think about it on a very individualistic kind of basis. We think about it primarily as something that's happening internally in me, that God is working in me. However, I'm going to argue and I want to just kind of lay out for us that the fruit of the Spirit is not primarily about just making you a good person. It's actually about you producing life in other people. It's actually the fruit that God wants to produce in your life is not just about giving you good character qualities. It's actually about making you a healthy and whole person in relationships to bring life to other people. So think about this for a second. That list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, fruitfulness, self-control, all of that. Who wouldn't want to, number one, be a person like that? And number two, be around a person like that. I mean, most people I know are like, you know, aren't the kind of people who are like, hey, I just really wish that I had less self-control. I wish that I was a less faithful person. I wish that I was more quick-tempered. You know what I'm saying? Like most of us don't think that. And the truth is that most of us don't want to be around people who are like that. I don't like to be around impatient people. I don't like to be around people who are really lack peace or aren't peacemakers. I mean, we want to be around people like that and we want to be people like that. And I would suggest that that is exactly what God had in mind in producing this fruit in our spirit, that we would become people and be around people. And look at what happens if you've got people who look like the fruit of the spirit. Look at the beauty that comes in a community like that when those kinds of people who are all submitted to the Holy Spirit, who look like Jesus, come together. And I think that that's the whole point of this passage. It's not just that I would be a good person, but that I would actually learn how to thrive and be healthy in other relationships in a ways that produces life in other people. So let me unpack. Now, let me pause. I know that this is a different way to think about this than probably what you've heard or what you thought, but I want to show you how contextually this is exactly what Paul had in mind when he, would wrote, the, when he wrote this. So let's go back up to verse 13. Here's what he says. You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So I want to pause right there. 
Oftentimes we read this passage is about to come and we focus on the different kind of fleshly things. I'll unpack that in just a second and kind of bettering ourselves. But remember that the point of this passage is that we learn how to serve one another humbly in love. He says this, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be be destroyed by one another. So here's what I want us to know. Whatever he's going to talk about as it relates to the fruit of the spirit has to do with us being other focused, not just self-focused. It has to do with us being other focused. It has to do with us moving toward love and service to other people and not just not doing bad things. It has us moving towards healthy and whole relationships with other people and not just being a good internal person. And so Paul says, look, you are called to live in freedom. You don't need someone to tell you all the do's and don'ts. If you're looking for that, that's a religious thing. That's not the freedom that you've been given. But the freedom that you've been given is not a freedom to do whatever the heck you want to do. It's actually a freedom to love and serve others instead of to just be serving yourself. That is the reason why you have been given freedom. So whatever comes next, whatever else we're going to say, whatever else we're going to read, we've got to think about this. Whatever we say about the fruit of the Spirit has to be about somehow helping us love other people. It's interesting. He quotes here the same passage that Jesus quotes when he's asked, what's the most important command? What's the, what's the one thing I need to do? Love your neighbor, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is saying the same thing. Look, if you just do this, focus on this one thing, a lot of this other stuff will fall in line. So how do we do that? How do we actually step into that and see that fruit produced in our lives? So verses 16 through 18, here we go. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me pause right there. If you can, if you're reading a Bible and you write in your Bible, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write the word if above walk by the spirit. So imagine Paul saying this, if you walk by the spirit and then the next phrase, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I want you to write above that then. If you do this, then this, that's what Paul's saying. So if you walk by the spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And here's what he goes on to say. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you... so that you are not able to do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So I'm gonna, I'm, I know I'm being a little teachy today, but there's a reason for this. I think it's so important that we get this. Paul lays out here kind of, two ways. This is actually a really common thing that we see in the Bible. There is a way that leads to life and a way that leads to destruction. This is all throughout the Psalms. It's in the the wisdom literature like Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes. And now we see it here. Paul's laying out. Here's two ways. One way is to live according to the flesh. Let's unpack that just a little bit. The flesh in the New Testament normally does not refer to our physical body. That's not what he's saying. The Bible doesn't have a negative view of the human body. 
actually. It's a very positive view of the human body. God creates human beings and says, this is very good. And then we're promised that we're going to get a new resurrected body one day after the resurrection. So God has space for positive things about our, about our human body. So that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about when he says flesh, when Paul talks about flesh most of the time, is that sinful part of humanity, that sinful part of, of that's common to every human that produces disordered loves and disordered desires. So Paul says here, the passions and loves. So the Apostle Paul here and, and, and the rest of Scripture has a theology that all of humanity is held captive to our flesh, that we are controlled uh, in, a, in a way by disordered desires that lead to destructive behaviors. Let me say that again, that we are all subject to disordered desires that lead to destructive behaviors. Now, the whole world knows that people have destructive behaviors, and there's a lot of energy spent on trying to fix the destructive behaviors. But the truth is, what the gospel actually gets at in us is reordering our desires, not just reordering our behaviors. And actually, it's taking things that are disordered and reorienting, reorienting them so that they're ordered rightly so that the right behavior then follows out of that. And so Paul's theology is that we have these disordered desires that produce disordered or destructive behaviors until we come to know Jesus, and then everything should be changed. So in verses 19 through 20, I'm not going to read this list right now, but there is a laundry list here, idolatry, sexual immorality, all these different things. Those are all the fruit, so to speak, the bad fruit of disordered desires. Those are the destructive patterns and behaviors that are destructive to ourself. But actually, if we look at that list, they're destructive to other people. Selfish ambition, anger, frustration, fighting with one another, hatred towards one another, fits of rage, almost everything on this list. Actually, I would go far, so far as to say, if you really study this passage, every, every word that's on this list is something that's not just about bad things for me. It's also about how destructive we can be in relationships. And so those things lead us uh, disordered desires leads us to these destructive behaviors in relationships. And so he says, those who are characterized by these things, this is a harsh word from Paul, won't inherit the kingdom of God. Basically, you have an inheritance waiting for you ahead that's really good and godly. And when we allow these things to rule our life or to characterize our life, not that we have slip-ups and we have um, you know, moments of frustration, those kinds of things, but if this characterizes our life, we're actually leaving behind our inheritance. We're actually leaving on the table what God meant for us to pick up, which is his goodness and a full life with him. And so he says, look, you can choose... One way is to feed those desires, and then this will be the result. But actually, this is in conflict with how we were designed to live. There's a conflict between pursuing the desires of the flesh, those disordered desires, and the desires, rightly ordered desires of the Spirit. We should live by the Spirit, is what Paul says, but we don't. So let's pause here. Why? <laughs> Paul's writing to a group of Christians so these are people, just like you and I, 
who should be living by the Spirit and not feeding those evil desires that, that we've got, not living that way. But you and I both know that we still struggle with this stuff, that we still wrestle with all of this. Every human being ever that has ever lived has. Every Christian who's ever experienced the grace of God still has sin in their life, still has disordered desires that they have to work with. So what's up with that? Well, Paul's theology here is that those that fleshly part of us has been put to death. He says it's been crucified. It's dead. Uh, that stuff has been rendered powerless in us, in us so that we don't have to be controlled by it anymore, right? That's what Paul says. So then why is it that it still feels like we are? Well, it still feels like I'm struggling with some of the same kinds of things. I think all of you would be able to identify with that. Because here's the deal, despite what God has done for us objectively, we still live as though we are under that sinful thing's control. We have not yet learned to live into the freedom that Christ has given us. So let me try to explain this in an, in an imperfect metaphor. So this is a metaphor, but it's not perfect, but I think it will be helpful. So we've got a little dog named Lacey. She's a little mini dachshund. She's super, super cute. Except for she loves to bark at people and loves to bark at our neighbors. And it's that little dog kind of yap, you know, and we've just kind of had enough. So a little while ago, we bought a little anti-bark collar and we've put that on her. And the way it works is with her first bark, it gives a little gentle kind of, um, uh, uh, noise. It just beeps. And then she knows, okay, if I bark again after this noise, something else is going to happen. So she barks, there's a noise. If she, if she barks again, it'll just give a little gentle vibration. And then if she barks again, the vibration increases. And if she barks again, the vibration increases so that it becomes increasingly uncomfortable. And this is actually, it doesn't hurt the dog. There's no harmful. I know some of you out there are like, oh no, the terrible puppy. Uh, look, my ears hurt worse than the dog is hurting with this bark collar. I promise you, okay? So, so what happens is the dog learns over a period of time to not bark based off of past experience. And just within a short period of time, we've had this collar on Lacey, and, and she has almost completely stopped barking to the point where we've taken the collar off and she doesn't bark anymore, even not as much, I should say, even when the collar is off. Now, okay, what's the, what's the correlation here? The correlation is what, it, what happened is there was something about this collar that she was living with and that she learned a way of thinking. She learned a way of being that when I do this, this will happen. And even when we took that collar away, it's not there. She, it's, it's not there anymore. There is, there's actually nothing going to beep. There's nothing going to, going to shake it. She's not going to get shocked in any way. She still thinks as though the collar is there. She can't get herself out of this thinking. Now, over a period of time, you know, the, this imperfect metaphor, she probably would go back to her old ways. But 